Hi, I'm Darren Wright. And I'm Tim Beadle. Welcome to Disciple Making. Welcome back to another edition of Disciple Making. My friend Darren Ride sits by me on the other end of the uh, computer screen. And uh, I'm Tim Beadle. And today we're going to continue to talk about contrasts in church experience, organization, structure, and all the rest of it, uh, based on a book by Damien Girk in the way, The Church as We Know It, or perhaps as we knew it, because we're challenging status quo here, Darren. And uh, we've walked through a few things in past episodes, and we have a couple more to conclude this section that speaks about what the church does. We talked about who the church is, uh, but now we're talking about more the practical example sort of exemplary, example-based, practical outworkings of church expression. Yeah, yeah, we have been working through a few contrasts on what the church does, the contrast between legacy church and disciple-making movements. We've looked at the contrast of the ministry goal, which in legacy church is salvation, disciple-making movements, disciple-makers. Primary method of of doing this in the legacy church is just teaching. We we major in the teaching, but if you want to move to disciple-making, training has to show up. The growth strategy in a, in a legacy church is fast, faster is better. Disciple making is about slowness, right. but multiplication over time becomes fast. The key metric we spent some time on last, last episode was between attenders in a legacy church and capable disciple makers. I like it's it when you look- said, yeah, I like it when you said the key metric. Yeah. And uh, for most people, I think we challenge people, is that even a metric for most churches? Mm. Whereas you oh, said it's true. the key one, yeah. Yeah, that's something worth measuring. And today we're going to look at ministry application, how it's, how ministry is applied and, and how the primary meeting structure. So when it comes to ministry application, what we're talking about here is where ministry happens, how ministry happens. And a legacy church, it's through programs. And right. programs slash ministries, they're not inherently evil. But in a, in a disciple-making movement, it really becomes less programmatic, though you may have systems you use, and it becomes very personal. It becomes really about the individual as opposed to pumping people through a program. This contrast, Tim, can be a little bit hard to wrap wrap our heads around. Uh, Do you want to unpack a little more for us? Well, I'll give you a biblical example. And probably around 50 podcast episodes ago, I spoke about Mark 11. And Jesus is hungry. He's going towards Jerusalem. uh, And he sees in the distance a fig tree in leaf, full leaf. So he gets to go some food because after all, fig trees produce figs. But when he gets there, it's barren of figs and he curses it in such a way, the Bible says, and his disciples heard him say it. Why? Well, he was teaching them an object lesson that this uh, this leafy tree in full leaf, even though it wasn't the seasons for figs, in those days, fig trees uh, bore fruit when they grew leaves. And he was saying, look at this. This is a very sick tree, even though it looks healthy. Why? Because it's developed all this leaf structure. It it makes it look like it's really good, but it's barren of fruit. Hmm. And when I preach on this, I always equate it between programs and disciple-making fruit. Because uh, most churches, when they talk about their health, they talk about all the programs that they run. But programs in themselves do not make disciples. They're good to have in the process and pathway of leading someone through I love some of the programs, but mm-hmm. they do not duplicate or replicate the personal connection of leading someone through a spiritual journey to become mature in Jesus Christ. 
Oh, hey, man, that's, that's so well said, Tim. You know, we can pump people through programs. And the reality is a lot of our programs in Legacy Church are teaching programs where we're yeah. teaching people something. You know, so we're, so we're not hitting on, on the training side of things. Uh, I heard a, a podcast just this morning from Unstuck Group where they made reference to a church that had name tags, you know, little lanyards with name tags for a lot of the attendees. But then there were stickers for all the different classes people had gone through. Yeah. And so it was a very high academic style of disciple making, which it really wasn't. But that was the system. It was about teaching, yeah. teaching on a programmatic level. But I, I know you found, I know I'm finding, to really make a disciple requires some personal interaction and some skill development beyond sure. just walking through a program. I think in the Old Testament, the Pharisees were known for keeping the law. They had a checklist, check, check, check. I've attended this. I've completed that course. I've done this. Uh, but they were totally void of what Jesus was looking for, which was personal intimacy, uh, relationship with the Father, and development. And as we as we have been trying to impress over these months and months, mm. uh, it's all about, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow me as I follow mm. Christ. So, uh, so it's a relational uh, responsibility. Uh, in terms of leading people, not through programs, but to Christ and use programs as tools in the training and in the teaching as well, the teaching and training, but it has to be lifestyle applied and in a, whether you call it a mentoring relationship or disciple making, discipling relationship, it can't be push them into alpha and see what happens 10 weeks later. Hmm. So well said. Here's an excellent quote along those lines on page 121 in the book here. It says, it's not just about knowledge. It's about surrendering our lives to Jesus and letting the Holy Spirit guide us into all righteousness. Everything we do in life is brought under the single focus of living out Jesus' teaching and lifestyle. This approach integrates life and faith, making both clear, focused, and single-minded. It's, it's just life. Ma yeah. Making both clear, focused, and single-minded. Yeah. So the idea here is that it becomes a very personal level of application. And to spring from that, Tim... Another little quote I thought was very good. The message of the love of Christ needs a relationship bridge to walk across. Christianity is an incarnational faith. And that's true on the evangelistic level. And it's true on the disciple-making level, moving people down the path as well. It's got to be personal. It's got to be incarnational. I'll give you another, another illustration. Uh, when you teach someone about Jesus. It's like holding, as it were, a picture of Jesus in front of them. Mm. But we don't want them to fall in love with the picture of Jesus. We want them to fall in love with Jesus. And that only happens when you actually start obeying and developing and putting into practice and feeling the Holy Spirit uh, not only coming to life, but leading you in an authentic relationship. And that's what training does, because mm. it takes the premise uh, of what we learned in a sort of classroom laboratory of programs. And now you actually experience them and something, something happens when you actually do what Jesus is asking us, commanding us. Uh, and he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And so we obey him and you can't obey him intellectually without eventually motively mm. uh, following it up and doing it as well. Yeah. And that's, you know, and that is hard to make happen in a large group gathering. You know, it's hard hard to make happen in a, you know, you know, in a theater style setting, and that that brings us to the, the the next contrast, which is the eleventh contrast overall, and that is about the primary meeting structure. I think this this really um, 
touches on all the others in such a big way. The primary meeting structure in our legacy churches is clearly congregation level. That is you know, the big the big event is the big event. It's the main event. It's the whole you know as a pastor Tim, Sunday's always coming or the weekend's always coming. So much time and energy goes into that. But when we see disciple making movements happening, the focus, the primary meeting focus is actually on a smaller group. It is where a lot of this training and incarnation and relational side of equipping can happen. And that's why Jesus, he could have stayed in front of the masses his entire ministry. He was drawing them. They followed him. They flocked after him. They went around a lake to find him. And he provided for their needs. But most most of his time was spent with a small number. Why? Because uh, in John 17, verse 4, when Jesus said, Father, I've completed all the work you gave me to do. Now, he hadn't died yet. What is he talking about? It's because he had invested his life and spent most of his time in a small group of these men. And he had mentored them and he had mirrored the heart of the father to the point that when he ascended to the father, he had full confidence based on all authority in heaven on earth and his presence assured to the Holy Spirit that they were actually able to to do what he had trained them to do, to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. Mm. Oh, yeah, that was the call. And, and, you know, one of the big contrasts, Tim, we talk about the Great Commission I think you've heard of the great omission we've probably talked about yeah, before from did. Sun Life, where that where where we can recite the passage about you know go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, teaching them everything I've commanded you. <laughs> da 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 da. And we miss that phrase, teaching them to obey. Obey, that's right. And so what what we find him in the difference of the meetings, if our bias is towards teaching content, it's that's actually easy to do from a from a communication standpoint, it's easy to teach content, but the teaching to obey and then actually seeing if there's application, I don't see how we can do that in a large group gathering very well at all. No, we can't. And you had mentioned, you you use the word theater style uh, community, and then that's what usually what worship is on Sunday. Mm. And it's based on basically what we find in, 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 in what well, we call it theater, because when you go to the theater, like you're the spectators, you're the audience. You pay your money and you expect a performance to come to you. And to be honest with you, if, if we were to be totally honest, uh, talk to the uh, people who are leaving, the actual parishioner who is leaving the worship center or sanctuary, and uh, some of them will say, well, I, I didn't get fed today. I didn't get fed today. As if, you know, they came and they paid their money and they wanted something. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, we are, we are taught to be spectators. Now, I would uh, say that the audience of worship is not the pastor, it's God. We, we sit at his footstool and mm -hmm. he is the author. However, he's the audience. However, uh, we are in a passive mode where we respond to the music, to the invitation, to the prayer, to the offering. Whereas in a smaller group setting, uh, the, the dynamics between people, it's more like a spider's web that is being mm. spun. Uh, where, where everyone's interacting and at the end of the experience, you walk away and you feel closer and you feel on mission based on what you've uh, shared together and committed to. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've, we've seen that in our group, Tim. But I will say, you know, to be fully honest, just going to a small group setting oh. doesn't fix the spectator uh, leader dynamic. It doesn't fix the one person doing everything dynamic. It's you still got to be very, very intentional That's about that because we've been so enculturated into that that spectator mode like in, in our group we we work really hard to try to have you know everybody doing every part yeah but it's very natural and easy for people to just sit back and let 
someone else, you know, take it over. And, and we, we, we have to really fight that in a way, that force of gravity of towards passivity in our disciple making groups. Yeah. So my wife and I just started, my wife's leading it a new group because there's new people coming into our church and some of them live in our neighborhood. So right now there's three couples and uh, so we decided what type of a group do we want? And and what you were describing is very along the lines that uh, there's going to be a blend of obviously biblical study, but personal application, life, looking at our lives, but also a service element as we start living out the mission of Jesus. And uh, that, I think it's important at some point for a small group to declare uh, what the goal of the small group is. Otherwise, socially, um, you know, we, we become ingrown because we like each other and then we don't want others to come because it wrecks the mm-hmm. dynamics, right? Mm-hmm. So it's important to understand from the get-go uh, that uh, uh, smaller is sometimes better than bigger <laughs> if, it's, if it's done properly. If it's yeah. Done. Oh, yeah. And it's just a great way to, in, in a non-big stick way, to hold each other, yeah. to encourage each other towards, you know, accountability and application. And I, I think I have shared one conversation I have with Damien where I was sharing about our group, how we were doing a lot of the things right. You know, we were, we had a lot of the pieces in place. And I made the comment that it seems to me we're going to have to amp up the the um, the rigor around the whole issue of application and accountability to apply what we've been learning. And he stopped me and he said, if you don't move into application with accountability when it comes to disciple making, you might as well quit right now. Yeah. Because yeah. that, that's where, and in a way, that's almost the, 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 the pivot point, the difference between teaching versus teaching to obey. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And also, to be honest with you, um, how many of us have been led to do what we are now calling on others to do? This is part of the problem that, mm. um, you know, over the generational uh, you know, milieu of, of church experience, it's been based on training. And then turning up, being counted, uh, mm. pay your tithe, and those are the metrics. But when we start talking about disciple making, uh, you know, life on life, uh, discipling relationships, obedience, uh, that's way more qualitative than quantitative, uh, because it, it it takes us to the end of ourselves and to expose what claim Jesus has on our life as Lord. Mm. Oh yeah, Tim, have you what what kind of small groups have you been in that? What have been the components or the practices in a group that have really helped emphasize and build into the disciple-making flow? What, what, yeah. what kinds of things specifically do you do? Well, I think praying for each other is huge. That yeah. breaks down the, the walls of, of uh, well, you have to decide, uh, are you going to drop your guard in front of people, let mm-hmm. them into your life? Because um, while there might be a curriculum, and, and curriculum is never the goal to get through it, I'll say that as well. Yeah. Sometimes, uh, as we know, sometimes our podcasts are three podcasts uh, in length for a, a very, what seems to be a very simple, but not simplistic um, mm-hmm. sort of principle of discipling. Uh, but prayer, getting to know people, acts of kindness, that we care for each other. Mm-hmm. But then it has to go beyond that. So it isn't just a social in-gathering. Uh, there has to be obedience, application, and then holding people accountable. And then uh, what I find, uh, you know, I, I, we, we write down prayer lists. We, we revisit those week by week to see how God is working and what part we played in the answer as God has answered those prayers and the opportunities that it gave us to 
disciple or to plant seeds, you know, those the cultivation or the, the planting of the reaping and the harvest is to understand what our role is in all of that as well. Also mm. in the group, those who are more spiritually mature obviously have more experience. And so they take on almost parental roles, even if they aren't older. Uh, but we're all in this. It's like sitting around. I, I think uh, Spader talks about like sitting around a kitchen table uh, in a family and there's an adult and there's a baby and there's a visitor. And and you sort of figure out uh, what seat you're sitting on in the group. And then we all help the person mature from there. Oh, that, that's really good. You know, there's a very simple structure that I've seen in a lot of a lot of the resource I've looked at, including in the way here where they talk about a three thirds meeting. Okay. where they talk about looking back to review what's happened since the last meeting. That would be answers to prayer and application. Looking up to see what God wants to reveal to yeah. us through the Bible and through each other. And then looking forward to focus on how we're going to obey God next week. Uh, you know, it's so simple. And, you know, in the components in there, it's amazing how rich of a meeting you can have with such a simple structure. Yeah. And I think it's important that our time is structured. Otherwise, what I find is, People start talking and fellowshipping and the first hour is gone and then, oh, we got to pray now. And and uh, so so there needs to be enough structure, uh, just like our body. You know, there's an organizational component to our body, but, but the real part of us is not the skeletal structural. It's who we are inside. It's our soul and all that. So, so they have to go. Organism and organization always go hand in hand, mm. but it's always the organization that give structure to the organism that is now the living part of what the group and what our life is all about. Hmm. Yeah. Let me just do, do almost a little very quick side note, Tim. When it comes to the whole issue of prayer in a small group, I, I found this really helpful to keep the prayers to no more than one step removed from the circle. In other words, I don't want to pray for yeah. my aunt's cousin's best friend. Right. I'll, you know, I'll pray for your aunt. But yeah. I really want people to focus on, I want to hear how to pray for you that's right. self, and for those you are seeking to reach. Yeah, and, and, that, and that's something where, where you know, we, we keep pulling back to that. And that changes the dynamic of a group mm-hmm. where you're praying for real issues in each other's lives and for those you're seeking to reach. And, that, and, and of course, it's not just psychological. God responds to those yeah. prayers, right? It's I like powerful. the sound. I like the sound and the feel of that as well. Otherwise, we can end up just praying for all kinds of things around the world and never be personally attached to any of our petitions to the Lord. Yeah. Tim, when it comes to a large church with a focus on congregational, most of those churches have small groups. How how could they build disciple-making into an existing small group? Is that possible? If a small group has been about like a Bible study, a typical, what needs to happen? How is it? Is it is it possible? Well, uh, this question shows that we don't plan these podcasts in advance because I was going to ask you the same question. <laughs> In terms of how do we get from here to there? Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you have to just build a a parallel reality where you start different times of groups? Or can you morph and steer a current group towards uh, the whole discipling um, Mm -hmm. desire and command of Jesus? Uh, To be honest with you, I I haven't seen personally a group that's been established all of a sudden change course. Uh, unless, Unless there is a really heavy initiative an example by the leadership of the church to make a change hmm. and i think you almost have to do you know what, what you're doing with with 12 church where you, you just have to start and again again this is a slow process right mm-hmm. you're not trying to fix this overnight 
But again, because of the principle of multiplication rather than addition, if we can just start with a, a you know, one to a few, it'll grow to many eventually. But there has to be that understanding that this isn't a rogue breakoff group who don't like the status mm. quo, and they're doing something that's totally different. We have to keep it biblically and Jesus-focused, mm-hmm. and then just say, hey, we're trying this out, and I think the Holy Spirit will lead dynamically in that as well. Yeah, I actually just recorded a video, Tim, for our 12 Church YouTube channel. I always start my videos with a provocative statement of some kind, and and my statement was uh, that most small groups are the spiritual equivalent of an ingrown toenail. And, and I talked about just the challenge to be all inward focused. And how do we change that? My suggestion was and is, if you're in a group that wants to change, stop the group yeah. for a yeah. couple of weeks and restart it, Right. You know, as opposed to just trying to do it on the fly. Yep. Or hive off with a few people who have a like-minded or go off on your own and find some people yep. who want to go that way. It's, it's very hard to shift... Uh, shift direction to an established group because we've got our patterns and our habits. Yep. And so my wife and I have branched out from our established group. And it was, uh, you know, it was a very emotional thing because we love these people, but we talked mm-hmm. about the, the burden on our heart to go in this direction. And it was just wonderful. Uh, there's one fellow, Victor, in our group who basically, he gets it. And he said, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, we, you want to leave it. We're, we're going to commission you to go and start this and do something different and new. And the nice thing is they're always checking in with us to see how it's going. Yes. So it isn't like you're, we're outcasts and we didn't like something, but we're just trying to be obedient to Jesus and oh. following the Holy Spirit. That's beautiful. You know, I, I've seen in a lot of the movements I've stumbled across, a lot of people are involved in two small groups. Yeah. They're involved in, in kind of their source group where they are, you know, in this mutual relationship. And then they're involved in one that they're starting yeah. with either new believers or even pre-believers, you know. And, and so they get that that balance of care from more mature Christians while also the ministry level as well. I think that's not a bad a bad model to consider. Although a lot of these situations, they aren't doing a large congregational thing either, you that's know. Right. So there's some some elbow room for that in their schedule. Yeah, so there, there's a couple of more just areas of contrast uh, in terms of, you know, is it more programmatic or personal? Is it more large, complex, or more small and personal? And uh, I think that's a good place to land the land the plane, as it were, today, Darren. Yeah, no, I, of, I think uh, it is. Giving our friends some things to think about. And uh, it is our prayer as we uh, maybe stir the pot a little bit, uh, of course, trying to remain biblical, uh, spirit-led, uh, for you to take some time to reflect. Uh, Tony Campolo once interviewed uh, 50 seniors who were 95. He said, if you have to live your life over again, what would you do differently? And they said this, we would reflect more. And that, that's what we're trying to do in these points. We're reflecting. But then he said, we would risk more. Yeah. Based on we, uh, the faithfulness of God, his dependability, um, we were, we're going to try to step out and do something. And then the last thing they said is, we want to leave a legacy. And uh, that's so much, not so much like the legacy churches that we're looking at, but it, we're, we're going to cut a new swath and have people follow in a new way. And that'll be the new legacy. And so hopefully in uh, 50 years from now, they'll look back, perhaps on these podcasts, there's a couple of guys who wanted to, to, to do a mid-course correction and leave a legacy for others to follow. Mm, amen. Like we, the old saying, you get points for building arcs, not predicting rain. We don't just want to be nitpickers finding what's wrong. We want to say, here's 
a way forward to being disciples who make disciples, which is yeah. the call. And yeah. I've appreciated getting to know you, Tim, through these yeah, this is podcasts. And I hope that people are benefiting from it because uh, we're in an era now where we need disciples who will make disciples. Yeah. And we need to make that our priority as followers of Jesus in these days. So, friends, we'll look for you again on our next episode of Disciple Making. For my friend Darren Wright and Tim Beadle, we say farewell, uh, follow God, and uh, enjoy the Spirit's journey as we obey Jesus in making disciples that make disciples. Thanks for joining us. For more information, go to imakedisciples.com or ChristFollowerDNA.com. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts.